This is Around the Rim with LaChina Robinson. Hello, basketball fans. That's right. It's your favorite day of the week. It's a new episode of your ESPNW Women's Basketball Podcast, Around the Rim. I am your host, LaChina Robinson, joined by my fantastic producer, Tarika Foster-Brasby. And we have another guest joining us at the top of the show to help us work through the latest and greatest in women's basketball, none other than the editor of womenshoopsworld.com. Please join me in welcoming Sue Favor. Welcome, Sue. Hey, hi there, ladies. Great to be here. <laughs> yes, and fans will also know Sue by her Twitter handle, which is at Hoopism. So we are going to talk to Sue in a few moments about all that she's doing to bring eyes and attention to women's basketball, which we appreciate. But just to give you a preview of today's show, because we are loaded, we have the Bentley head coach, who is now part of the 1000 Win Club, none other than Barbara Stevens, who is going to drop some gems for us later on in the show about how she got to a thousand wins. What does she love about coaching her journey? Um, a pioneer in the game, which is so important to share those stories. So she'll join us later. We also have Texas A&M's finest. That's right. The Aggies are going to join us on the show. Freshman sensation, Kennedy Carter, arguably the freshman of the year. Is there a discussion? I don't think so. She will join us later <laughs> in the show along with the high jumper, the bunny rabbit, the energizer bunny, and Riel Howard. So we're looking forward to doing that. But first, we have to talk about some headlines. First and foremost, it's National Girls and Women in Sports Day. Sue, I want to ask you first and foremost, what does this day mean to you? Wow, that's a great question, Lachina. Um, I just was looking at my social media this morning and, and just seeing how much attention it was getting. And so, first of all, I guess I would say I'm excited that it's getting more attention and more recognition now as as being the day that it is. Um, it's extremely important. I was post-Title IX, of course, but, um, you know, just seeing the, the opportunities for women increase over the years is just so amazing. And um, just to see that there's really no difference at the high school level, you know, between what's offered for girls and what's offered for guys and that, you know, equality in that in, in that realm is pretty much expected as it is on the collegiate level. And um, I'm loving all the positive messages that I'm seeing on social media and in other fronts today, just people really taking the time out to note that the importance of the day and note, note the importance that girls and women do have access to sport. Yeah, I mean, we're seeing a lot of the hashtag uh, National Girl Women in Sports Day, hashtag Thank You Title Nine, which was such an important piece of legislation that was passed that gave us the opportunity to compete or to try to um, level the playing field as it pertains to athletic opportunities available for women and girls, um, not just in, in sport itself to play, but we're seeing it play out in um, careers in athletics as well, which is awesome. Um, Tarika, wondering what National Girl and Women in Sports Day means to you. Um, it's actually one of those things that reminds me of how blessed I was to grow up in the era that I grew up in, because I know for some, it was kind of an, an impossible thing to see that girls would eventually be, you know, so spectacular at playing sports and have that equal opportunity to play sports. For me, it's always been something that I've been able to see. I, I was uh, uh, in my adolescence when the WNBA began, so I get to see professional women's basketball. I was a huge uh, fan of gymnastics growing up, so I used to see Dominique Dawes when she was headlining the, the Olympic Games. And so for me, it just kind of, you know, allows me to remember how special, you know, being a girl was playing volleyball growing up, playing softball growing up, playing basketball growing up and having that opportunity to, to share that and see how it, it has expanded over the course of even just the last 10 or 15 years. Yeah, it is incredible to see what's happened. Like, I don't think people understand the value of having a vision, right? So there was a woman before me and there was one before Sue and there was one before Tarika who was the first example of a woman in sport. You know, I remember my early days. I was like you. I loved gymnastics. 
and I was all into skating. So I loved like Christy Yamaguchi. Mm-hmm. I know. Um, I mm-hmm. used to love watching yeah. golf. Yeah, golf was a big thing. I don't know why I like watching golf, but I was a big fan of <laughs> Freddie Couples, and I was just weird like that. But then the '96 Olympics obviously just captured my entire soul because I had just started playing basketball. I saw Lisa Leslie for the first time, and I was like. There is a tall, beautiful, strong, powerful, smart, charismatic, brilliant woman, and I want to be like her. And that was it. That was the game changer. Wow. And so, um, you know, we're so grateful for all the examples, obviously the work of Billie Jean King and others that have been pioneers. I think about Vivian Stringer and what she's done mm-hmm. um, as a pioneer in women's basketball, which obviously we celebrate on this podcast, Pat Summit, Tar Vanderveer. Uh, Barbara Stevens, who we'll hear from later. Um, the list goes on and on. But just wanted to give a moment of, of celebration for National Girl and Women in Sports Day. And hopefully everyone else is celebrating. So let's talk about a few things um, on our clipboard. The first thing I wanted to discuss was, um, you know, I tweeted earl- uh, earlier in the week about a big matchup between Florida Gulf Coast and Jacksonville University. Now, we don't get to talk as much about the mid-major level, um, but we don't as much as we probably should. But this was a big A-Sun matchup. Carl Smesco and Yolette McPhee McEwen. If you don't know who she is, you need to look her up. But she's the head coach of Jacksonville. Incredible talent. But this was a, a pretty big matchup that I know a lot of people were looking forward to. And... I would have to say that I wasn't sure who would win this. Florida Gulf Coast did go on to win. Sue, I knew you had something on your page about this matchup. What, what's intriguing to you about these two programs? Well, and it's funny that this game was played the week I had a, an interview with Carl Semesco up on my page. But, um, you know, he has such a solid program. He's been running it for 16 years. And so, you know, that was, they had just come off their, I believe their first lead was, and then they were facing Yolette's team. And Yolette, uh, she's, she's raising up that program like every, every game she's raising the program up. So that was a fierce matchup. And it was a, it was a two point, I think it was, was it 67 to 65 was the final score. Um, it really could have truly gone either way. So I, boy. It's out. I wish I could have seen it, I guess, because it actually didn't surprise me that it was a close game because both those coaches are pretty intense. Yeah, it was just a reminder that we definitely need to be checking in on, on all the levels, but in particular with these two coaches who are two of the best and probably don't get talked about enough. So as you heard, Sue, she's got a story on Carl Semesco on her page. Check it out because he's just such an interesting guy. I love the way he runs our his program, and we plan on having Yolette on our show soon. Because Tarika's her sorority sister and she's my friend. Okay, moving on. Yes, ma'am. Kelsey Mitchell continues to make news. Um, She set the NCAA record for most consecutive games with a three-pointer. It was her 81st consecutive game, so congratulations to her. I wasn't sure if we mentioned this, but she also became the Big Ten's all-time leading scorer. So, I mean, the accolades are just starting to roll in for a young woman that we all know has been amazing um, in her in her career and I know will only get better. So we're sending another shout-out to Ashland University. And what a story. We're trying to get Ashland on our show. Ashland set the record um, in Division One for most consecutive wins. And, I mean, it's it's not easy to do at any level, but this is a story that I think is not talked about enough. Now, the record um, is 58. That's what they set the record as. Um, and so it's a little different, Division One, Division Two, And, you know, you remember UConn and their 111 game streak, obviously. But I just think what Ashland is doing right now is incredible, Sue. Yeah, me too. And I agree. It doesn't get talked about enough. That it was, uh, you know, it was definitely on the the page. But um, just think about that, if you will, fifty eight wins in a row. That's that's amazing. And um, I I don't know. I guess I need to probably do a story on them at some point here. Um, we'll see when it stops. I believe they just got fifty nine a couple nights ago as well. So they're still rolling. So I guess we'll see how long they can keep on rolling. But um, they got an amazing thing going there, defending champ. Yeah. 
too. Yeah, by for the way. sure. Yeah, and that record um, was set Division Two men or women's program. So congratulations to them. Now they the NCAA had another reveal, and uh, we always like to talk about what's happening over with the NCAA Women's Basketball Committee in terms of what they think is going to happen with seeding in the NCAA tournament. Um, now, Sue, I, I know that this is a hot-button topic with a lot of people, but I think it's a good thing. I think it's a good thing that they do this reveal. So at least we know how the committee is thinking. Do you like that they do these reveals um, so that we can get a look at what they think the top 16 seeds are? You know, I do because one, China, it, it uh, generates conversation, which is always a good thing. Keep, keep, keep it in people's minds, but it is a good idea to, to, to find out what they're thinking because, you know, inevitably, when the seeds are revealed in the second Monday in March, there's just all this pandemonium and discussion and disagreement and all this kind of stuff. So at least we kind of get a, a peek into it. The one that was revealed um, last week, I believe, was funny to me because then right after that, then six of those teams lost that night. <laughs> yeah, I wonder how, wonder how this is going to affect the next top reveal. But, um, you know, I think the NCAA does a great job with their research department and with their, you know, education. I mean, I know a lot of people like to say whatever about the NCAA, but I just think they're wonderful. They are always trying to get out there and get better and have a committee on this and a committee to study that. And um, they're just always trying to do things like that. So I appreciate their proactive stance, and I think these reveals are kind of fun. And whether or not they, these teams actually end up the way they are, um, we'll see. But it's fun to talk about it in the meantime. Yeah, it's hard to really, you're absolutely right. You kind of watch it for that night and then you're like, okay, that was over because things changed so quickly. But just to fill the fans in on what happened on the last reveal, um, here were the seeds as they had it. The committee had the top 16 rankings as of February 1st. UConn as the number one overall seed, um, Mississippi State, Louisville and Notre Dame were the other two number one seeds. Now they had UConn in the Albany region, Mississippi State, Kansas City, Louisville um, in the Lexington region, and then Notre Dame and Spokane. Um, and then it went Oregon, Baylor, South Carolina, Florida State, Texas, UCLA, Tennessee, Georgia, Maryland, Missouri, Michigan, Texas A&M. So um, we'll continue to keep a look at, uh, keep an eye on what's happening um, in terms of the seating. But some of the games we're getting ready to talk about in the minute might have affected what has happened um, <laughs> since that reveal. And um, just to mention a couple of things to the fans, NC State is the NCAA team of the month. They had a huge win in knocking off Florida State last week. Westmore is doing a fantastic job uh, there in Raleigh. Also, a WNBA uh, news, it looks like the New York Liberty will be staying with MSG for now. Now, they won't be playing all their games at Madison Square Garden. Um, it looks like Westchester is in the conversation. There's a lot of things, moving pieces right now. But James Dolan not selling the Liberty this season. It looks like they will continue to have ownership of it for now. Um, so we'll keep our eyes on that. Free agency is happening with the WNBA as well. So just a few storylines for fans to keep their eyes on. And now it's time for us to talk about some actual games, Sue. Let's head into the first quarter. <laughs> first quarter. All right. So a lot was happening this past week in college women's basketball. So we're going to talk about a few of the games um, that took place. And one of the major ones I know people are still talking about, I know I'm still buzzing, from Big Monday was the defending national champs, South Carolina, in a rematch with Mississippi State in Stark Vegas. So let's start this conversation off listening to Vic <laughs> Schaefer, who talked to Paul Feinbaum about the team being 24-0 and in the mindset. How do you move from this milestone to what's really important, that's uh, getting to the tournament. Obviously, you're going to get to the tournament, but uh, getting through the SEC and then uh, into the NCAA tournament, which last year you made it to the final game. Well, Paul, I mean, we've uh, this team has been a part of several records, and uh, um, they've been really good about staying grounded, staying humble, staying hungry, understanding that, number one, the target was on their back, 
uh, for something they did last year. Then as they've won and won and won, the target has increasingly become bigger. You get everybody's best scouting report. You get everybody's best energy, everybody's best game. And uh, they've been great at just staying in the moment of one game at a time. And uh, I'm really, really proud of them for that because it's extremely hard to do, Paul. This is not normal. 24-0 for basketball teams across the country, men or women, is Let's face it, it's not normal. And yes, that's right. Undefeated. There are two undefeated teams in women's college basketball, UConn, of course, and then Mississippi State. Now, on this night in Starkville, they set an attendance record at Humphrey Coliseum with 10,800 people. Um, they beat South Carolina 67-53, to but the crowd was just amazing, and it's it's crazy to see what Vic Schaefer has done there. And Dawn Staley, we'll get to her game against UConn in a moment. But what are your overall thoughts, Sue, on this Mississippi State team? Well, you know, um, they're just so challenging right now, China, because not only has Tierra McCowan stepped up her game in the paint in a big, big way, averaging a double-double right now, but... We have all the all the other perimeter players have stepped up their game as well, such as Blair Schaefer. Everybody, all of his uh, his shooting starters are all averaging forty percent uh, shooting right now, and that is amazing. That is hard to guard, so that's why there's such a problem. Um, obviously, South Carolina has have been hammered with injuries and whatnot, but even if they weren't, I still think they would have a problem with Mississippi State and. Uh, so it's really no mystery why the Bulldogs are doing as well as they are. But yeah, this twenty-four and zero—that's that's amazing. That's getting into some, you know, Pat Summit Meek era kind of records there. So we'll, uh, he's he's good. He's a smart man. He's saying the right things one thing, one game at a time because that's how you have to do it at this point in the season. Yeah, you really do. And Vic Schaefer, you know, he he's scout heavy. He's a defensive man. I think we used to call him the Secretary of Defense and. Um, you know, that's what he hangs his hat on, but this is arguably the most talented offensive team he's ever had. Um, shooting numbers wouldn't have supported it on that night, but they did enough to get it done. Victoria Vivians is just having a, a first team All American type season. Um, you mentioned McCowan. I thought the key, though, was Jasmine Holmes off of the bench. I mean, her ability to push the ball, she had eight assists. And her defensive pressure, just her overall quickness, I thought changed the complexion of that game. Now, Asia Wilson, still grown woman, had 25 points and 14 rebounds. Um, <laughs> but it was definitely all Mississippi State. Now, let's talk about another big matchup that happened in the last week. And that was the UConn at South Carolina game. And to get us into that, he here is UConn head coach Gino Oriema with our Scott Van Pelt. Joined now by Gino Oriema. Gino, you have played in a million games like this on the road. The gym's hyped, and you guys are up nearly 30 at the half. How how much better did the script go in the first half than maybe you even dreamed it might? Yeah, I almost turned around and said something. I said I I, I tried to conjure up a lot of things that were going to happen tonight. I, I really didn't expect that. But... Um, that's as good as we've played in a long, long time. And uh, everything we talked about doing uh, leading up to the game and everything that we talked about before the game, it, to a T. I mean, these kids were really locked in. It, it was tremendous execution. It, it was everything and more that we could have hoped for. You and I have had the opportunity over the years to talk plenty. We've never had the chance to do what I'm about to ask you about. And that's Sunday. And not the game at home, but the game later in the day. Your, your beloved Philadelphia Eagles, man, how are you going to balance the, the nerves and the emotions of Sunday? Hey, listen, I, um, uh, I snuck in to see the Eagles play the Cowboys a uh, long, long time ago when I was young. And uh, I still get those same feelings when they play in a big game. And uh, uh, we're going to have a lot of people over. And, and uh, I, hey, listen, I don't think there's any way that we can lose. <laughs> I don't know if he was talking about football or if he was talking about basketball because it doesn't seem like the Huskies or the Eagles are going to lose. Tarika snuck that in because her husband is a big Philly fan, so she wanted to get a little. She knows how I, I despise football, I but she did get it in, so we'll <laughs> let her have her moment. Uh, but we heard, you know, and I, I didn't expect that score either. I mean, they beat South Carolina handedly. I'm looking at the box score now and the final score 83 to 58. 
Um, wow. Kia Nurse had 23. Katie Lou had 20. Um, you know, it, it just, it's the Yukon train that doesn't stop. So another fantastic environment as well is South Carolina. Wow. They packed the fans in too. Um, and, and I just want to, overall on a week like this where we have two marquee matchups like this, the, the fans are packed in. So what is, what do games like this on television, in your opinion, do for the game of women's basketball? Man, it's great to see that uh, to see that atmosphere, and it was great to see that on TV. Um, whenever you have two top programs, obviously it's just great to have them on TV. Sometimes they don't make it there, and so when they do, um, you know, I think a lot of fans were expecting it to be a closer game. But UConn is just a very well-run team. They they were here playing uh, UCLA here in November, so I got a chance to see that in person, and they spaced the floor well. They run their plays with precision. They execute well. They work well together on the court. They just, everything is pretty much run like a machine. So was I surprised that it was such a lopsided score? Yeah, I, like Gino, I didn't really think it was going to be quite that lopsided, but I did expect UConn to win. Yeah, I mean, they <laughs> they look like they are ready for the Final Four today. Like, just cut them out and drop <laughs> them in there. And I wanted yeah. to mention at the the attendance at South Carolina was 18,000. So uh, wow. another amazing environment. Now, but Sue, we have a lot of things that we um, have to get into. And one of them is the Pac-12 three-way tie right now. You're a West Coast girl. Um, I was out in Oregon. I know you um, are from Oregon. And um, it is a beautiful place. I'm so jealous. Me and Tarika, well, Tarika more than me, are, you know, just this winter weather's over. Um, yeah. We're over it. I'm over it. Yeah, I hear you. But, I hear you. Um, so I was on the West Coast. You get to see a lot of Pac-12. I was there for Stanford's win over Oregon. And what a weekend for Tara Vanderbilt's yes. group, who has, who has climbed out of the trenches. I mean, they went from not being ranked in the top 25 for the first time in forever um, to now in a three-way tie for first place with Oregon and UCLA. How has Tara done it? Boy, you know, that's actually, I'm, I'm going to interview her pretty soon, Lachana, and so I'm going to actually ask her because she just finds a way to um, not even make lemonade out of lemons because i'm not saying her kids are lemons but man she just takes you know a pile of sticks and or and makes turns it into a mansion somehow she just always gets the most out of whatever she has and they won that game uh against oregon on sunday just with defense alone they just shut the ducks down ruthie hebar didn't score in the second half um Brittany missy of course was taken off but they just found a way to, to shut them down and you know you can't ever count Tara Vanderveer out. She's just amazing. She's so smart. She's like a rocket scientist in the game. She's willing to change every year and grow and do new things. That's hard to beat. She has a full cachet of of uh, knowledge, and then she's willing to shift it up when necessary and then according to her personnel. So even though they were down kind of like last year, well, actually you could say the year before that, every year LaChina – they, they, people have been counting them out, saying, "Oh, Stanford, this will be Stanford's down year," but it never is. So, I'm still waiting yeah. for that down year because I haven't seen it yet. I, I haven't seen it at, yet either. And I, this is my second time calling a Stanford game this year. I had them against Baylor. They were without Brittany, Brittany McPhee at that time, and Baylor was just too much, as they've been too much for most teams. But the improvements, lowering the turnovers and, um, you know, just them getting into the flow of this motion offense they're running. So many moving pieces. But Brittany McPhee had 33 against Oregon in that win. Oregon was number six in the country at that time. And Kelly Graves has done an outstanding job. Don't want to take away from that. But and on Friday, they beat Oregon State in Corvallis. And that's not easy to do from what I understand. I haven't been to a game there, but it's on my bucket list. But they shut down Marie Gulich. Um, they yeah. shut down Cat Cat Tudor, and again, it's their defense. and And I've been to their practices, and Tara, I, I've never been to practices quite like she runs them. Even the way she mm-hmm. handled that Friday Sunday turnaround, they're just very strategic. Mm-hmm. They're very they're very detailed. Um, and so I have to ask you this: out of this three way tie for first place, in your opinion, who is most likely to come out as the regular season champs? 
Oh, my gosh, you have to put me on the spot with <laughs> You know, if you would have asked me three weeks ago, I would have said Oregon, but now I'm not so sure. Um, if if UCLA plays up to their full capability, it could be them. But, again, since Stanford's on such a roll right now, I may have to give the slight advantage to them at this point. I'm not really sure. And it also depends this weekend um, how Oregon responds and comes off of their losses. They head up to Washington to face the Washington schools. I suspect that they'll be ready to go because Sabrina Ionescu, their their star point guard, is, or their star shooting guard, is such a gamer, and um, I doubt that the Ducks will stay down for long. So it could be very, very interesting here in the last closing weeks. Yeah, I don't see that happening either. You're right. Ionescu, excuse me, is so amazing. Like she is just. <laughs> I was in awe of her the whole time I was there. Um, and, you know, the UCLA was picked to finish first. They were picked to win it. But there were high expectations for the Ducks coming off of their Elite Eight run last year. But Stanford, they maybe because there's no pressure, they may be the group that actually wins it. You know, and a lot of that has yeah. to do with schedules down the stretch and all of that. But um, so much to keep our eyes on in the Pac-12. Now, Sue, um, before we go, I have to get the scoop and, and share with the fans everything you're doing with your site and all of your touch points with women's basketball. Well, sure. Um, just to bottom line it is uh, basically I've been out by – I should mention this on the Girls and Women's Sports Day, but my first inspiration was being taken as a child to University of Oregon games. And I think my first basketball – person that I looked up to was Kim Mulkey with the braid and the Louisiana Tech first championship in the NCAA tournament, the very first for women in 1982. So there's that. That's kind of how I got hooked on the game. And then I I used to work as a full-time journalist. And in 2008, I started my Hoopism blog, um, got got a lot of freelance writing for many years out of that. And then in 2015, I launched womenshoopsworld.com. We've grown to um, encompass uh, several different writers. We cover basketball year-round, collegiately, WNBA, some high school as well, and just try to get to different parts of the country. I'm really, really excited right now because now I have a a writer in the Big 12. I have some more writers in the Pac-12. I have people in the South that can cover the Big 10 for me. Um, So we're growing, and I'm really excited. Just always looking for new contributors, people that are excited about women's basketball. We just try to cover you know, not just games, obviously, but, you know, the fe- features on the interesting players and coaches in the game. One of my favorite features that I've been doing since I started is the coaches chair interviews where I'll um, take one of our one of our favorite coaches and just talk to them, ask them about 10 to 12 questions and just get an insight into who are these people that run our teams with these players on them that we love. And it's I've learned so much talking to the coaches throughout the last few years. So that's another fun project we have. So just try to keep it fresh and exciting and just try to get the stories out there and tell those, tell the stories because there's so many great people in the game, um, both on the floor and on the sidelines. Yeah. I really love your coach's chair. We were talking about the Carl Smesco um, interview, which is up now, but I thought it was hilarious that he graduated with the bachelor's of broadcast journalism because he's one of the most quiet guys. Like when you're around him, I, and I was like, really? So it was cool to kind of it's learn cra- that aspect. Yeah, it's, it's funny you said that was funny. Yeah. Everybody has a, every, everybody I've talked to has a different background or a different way they got into the game coaching basketball. So that is usually one of my questions if it's not already on their bio and not obvious and you get the the most crazy answers and so yeah then I had to I when I said that I was like well that's interesting so okay how did you make that jump and you know some people have been at the same school for a million years and some people kind of patchwork everything together and so there's just a billion different ways to do stuff and everybody's just interesting you know yeah, no, there are so many great stories. We appreciate everything that you do, and not just during college season, also during WNBA, just all women's basketball. So make sure you check out Sue. I usually find out all she's up to on that Twitter handle, at Hoopism. <laughs> Sue, before I let you go, I have to force you to make a big pick. Now, this big Monday, huge matchup between the Louisville Cardinal, Jeff Wall's team, who's still rolling, and one UConn. Um, that's going to oh be boy. this Monday, February 12th, mm. 7 p.m. on ESPN2. Who do you have, Sue? Oh, my goodness. This is 2000, the 2009 final uh, national championship game all over again, huh? There um, you go. 
I, I was there. I, I still have those photos. But anyway, boy, you know what? I am going, as great as Louisville is looking this year, I'm going to have to pick UConn. Um, they just seem pretty unstoppable right now with all the, the things that I mentioned, such as the execution and the floor spacing and the, the offense run to perfection. I would guess I'm going to have to go with them. Now, if you ask me to pick a point advantage, I'm not, I can't even do it. Cause Louisville, oh, no, hopefully no, no, Louisville, no, no. Yeah, Louisville hopefully will make it a game because, boy, have they been fun to watch this year. Oh, my goodness. My I know. Goodness. I can't wait to see some Asia Durr. Well, thank you so much for your oh, time, yeah. Sue, and for all the work you're putting in. And uh, thanks for joining us on Around the Rim. Ha- happy National Girl and Women in Sports Day. Uh, thanks so much, Latrina. I appreciate everything you do as well, and happy National Girl and Women Sports Day to you as well. Second quarter, player's perspective. Okay, basketball fans, it is time for the player's perspective. And we have two of the best players in the country joining our show. First and foremost, one of the best rebounders in the nation. Uh, please join us in welcoming Texas A&M's Anrielle Howard. Welcome to the show, Anrielle. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And you have Glad with to us. Be here. Yes, and you have with you a freshman. We also have on the line joining Around the Rim for her debut, none other than the Kennedy Carter. Welcome, Kennedy. Thank you for having me. So, ladies, it's an exciting time to be a Texas A&M Aggie. I mean, you guys are number 14 in the country, um, and you're playing very well right now. Um, Talk about what's working for this team in this stretch of SEC play. Um, I think that we're playing harder than we have before um, previously during the beginning of the season. And we're starting to get a lot more chemistry on the court, um, just knowing where each other is. Like, we know where Danny is spotting up. Kennedy, if she's driving, I know where to go. Like, we're just all um, communicating very well, and our chemistry level has definitely increased. And that's not easy to do, especially considering the fact that um, you got a freshman point guard. So let's talk to Kennedy a little bit about how has this come together for you, Kennedy? What's been the process of getting comfortable with each other the way that Anriel just described? Um, Well, obviously it has taken a little time. I mean, I had to get comfortable with the coaching staff, of course, and they had to be able to trust me and trust that I could run the team and, you know, lead us in the right direction and help us win. And it's been, it's been, easy as far as my teammates you know they encourage me and they keep me up and they um they guide me out there on the court so it's not like I'm out there by myself I'm out there with them so it's been easy as far as playing with them and I just feel like at this point in the season we're getting better and we're starting to gel it's always nice when your teammates got your back right (laughs) that's a great feeling so you guys have only had two setbacks in SEC play you lost to South Carolina um obviously the defending national champs into Georgia what did those setbacks teach you guys about your team and what you needed to do better or more consistently in SEC play? Well, I mean, from my point of view, just looking at it, I mean, we were honestly two plays away from being undefeated. Um, that's how I feel uh, with South Carolina that last uh, play. And then going into overtime with Georgia, um, we could have ended it there. But um, it just shows us how close we are and um, how better we've gotten over the time. But we're we're really close. We just have a few more pieces um, together, and I think we'll be pretty good. Well, you have a Hall of Fame coach leading the way. And, and Kennedy, you talked about earning the trust of the coaching staff. What has it really been like to play for Gary Blair? Um, It's been fun yet crazy. I mean, Coach Blair is a great coach, honestly. But the thing about it, him is he loves his point guards. And I just have to know – everything I have to know all the plays I have to know each position I I have to be able to tell the team where they need to be and I have to be the floor general out there and I have to you know I'm him when I'm on the course so it's it's a lot playing for him but he's a great coach and, and I love playing for him and I love playing here though yeah, he's definitely had some great point guards. I still say to this day that Sidney Carter and Sidney Colson are my favorite backcourt of college basketball ever, okay? Like, I, I yeah. even when I see them now in WNBA, I'm always like, oh, my goodness. Obviously, they both they won a national championship there, so they kind of set the standard. But um, your guard play yeah. is something that we we have definitely uh, come to love over the years. But, Ariel, in the post, let's talk about you setting an NCAA tournament record 
and a Texas A&M single game record when you had 27 rebounds against Missouri State, and that was in March 2016. Rebounding is your staple. You're like, seriously, like a grasshopper, and I mean that in a, in a great way because <laughs> you just get to the basketball and nothing is ever out of position for you. How did you learn that skill of, of being such an amazing Dennis Rodman-type rebounder? <laughs> Well, thank you. Oh, that was some very kind words for you to say, but thank you. Um, I kind of started off uh, playing basketball, and I wasn't skilled at all. And my mom, she clearly noticed it, so she would just tell me to just go get the ball. She was like, if you can't do anything else, just go get the ball. When it's shot, go get it. So literally that was like the first thing that I learned playing basketball was to rebound, and I, it just always stuck with me. Um and I just want the ball. Like, when it comes off the run, I just want to go get the ball, have the desire to get the ball. We all have the desire, but nobody can make it happen the way you make it happen. So, I mean, Thank seriously, you. major props. And, and and really, are you, I mean, just 5'11"? I feel like I'm about, like, 6'2", so. <laughs> <laughs> well, you play like you're 6'2". You definitely play like you're 6'2". Well, and Kennedy, um, gosh, in my opinion – and I hope David doesn't get upset with me telling you this. In my opinion, opinion, you're the best freshman in the country. I mean, if you've proven it over and over again. You had 46 points against USC. Um, you know, you you just had your way against South Carolina, even though you guys didn't win that game. You lead all freshmen in points per game this season. Um, just tell the fans who haven't got a chance to see you, which is just, I feel bad for them if they have not, but just how <laughs> would you describe, how would you describe your style of play? Um, I feel like my, my, my style of play is just, I'm a competitor. So I feel like anytime I get on the court, I compete and I, and I love to win. I just feel like I, I play out there and I, I do everything. How can I say it? Mm. <laughs> Easily, like I do whatever I do whatever <laughs> it takes to win. I don't think that it's easy, but you know I put a lot of practice in, and I'm always in the gym, so I, I'm really really confident in myself, and I'm confident in what I can do. And I mean, being a freshman playing with a bunch of older people, older girls who kind of know the ropes, you have to be confident out there when you're playing. You definitely have all the confidence. I told you this when I saw you, but the first time I got to watch you play was at the Barclays Center when you were playing with the Jordan um, All-American Classic. And I was just like, you had the place on their feet in New York. Like, you're a Texas girl, and here you are in New York. You got them, you know, cheering for your crossovers and all that. Now, the, I miss the blue hair. I think your hair used to be blue, but I see you're trying to stick a little closer to Texas A&M colors, right? Is that what that is? Well, it used to be bluish green, then I went to red, and right now I'm at like a like an ombre brown. Yeah. Right now. Don't you let her I, talk about you, okay? Because my hair is blue right now, okay? That's, <laughs> that's what's up. Well, <laughs> hey, y'all could be – y'all's team could really be the all-hair team in women's basketball because Ariel's hair, we talked about this in broadcast, honey, is always flowing. And, Ky- <laughs> and Kyla – and Kyla doesn't need to be overlooked because her natural curls, I'll take the natural curls any day. Natural curl, yeah. Good, good curl pattern. I like that. Mm-hmm. Yes, very good curl pattern. So my last question for you guys, um, big stretch coming up here, um, starting with Tennessee. Uh, what is it going to take for you guys to get a win over the Lady Vols in Knoxville? Um, especially with us coming in, uh, being not at home, it's going to take a lot. You know, we're going to have to execute we're going to have to uh, play together and play as a team. Um, it's going to be tough. You know, they're a great team, followed by a lot of All-Americans and a great coach. I feel like we're just going to have to stay within our system and, and compete out there. I love it. Uh, Gary Blair would be – he would be proud of you guys right now for how you've represented Texas A&M on this podcast. We appreciate your time. Please give our best to everyone there in College Station, and uh, I hope to see you guys down the road. Yes, for sure. Thank you so Thank much you. for having us. Hey, and Anrielle, we know that you're trying to take my job, girl. I'm looking forward to you being the next and up and coming women's basketball or basketball personality, NBA, whatever it is. We're going to be on the lookout for that. <laughs> Thank you for sure. Thank you. Third quarter, Coach's Corner. 
Hey, basketball fans, it's the third quarter, and we are really excited to have a very special guest with us. We've been talking about her on our podcast uh, for weeks now, but we are finally able to have on our show newly added member of the 1000 Career Wins Club. Please join us in welcoming head coach Barbara Stevens to the show. Welcome, Barbara. Thanks, LaChina. It's a real pleasure for me to be on with you today. Well, we're excited to have you. You became the fifth women's basketball coach to reach a thousand career victories and the first Division II coach um, in history. So it's a really big deal. And I just want to start. This is something I always like to ask. What, as you reflect back on that moment, what was maybe the most precious memory for you after that one thousand career win? Well, the the whole night was very, very special. Um, Bentley University did such a wonderful job of planning a celebration, which I know, you know, can be kind of uh, kind of tough because you know you, you have to win the game, obviously, um, in order for that to happen. But I think that the biggest um, moment, and and certainly most special for me was to see my 93-year-old mom in the stands. Um, she is, um, you know, she's, she's been a, a fan of basketball her entire life. She's followed me as a player. She's followed me as a coach uh, along with my dad. And um, for her to be there, and it actually, uh, we had a little bit of a snowstorm that night. Oh, so wow. I wasn't quite sure that she would be able to make it. But uh, later on, I was told that she said that even if she had to crawl to the game, she would be there. So uh, that was that was really, really special. And, and then a number of my family members were there as well. Wow, that is very special. So take us back a little bit on the journey of your career. You begin your career as a head coach at Clark College in 1977-78. We'll talk in a minute about Title IX and kind of that impact, but you spent six seasons there before moving to Massachusetts for the next three years, um, and you are in your 32nd season at Bentley, which I think is just fantastic. And it was interesting, as you know, Gino Oriema also got to 1,000 wins uh, this year. He's been at UConn for 32 seasons, but you've been the WBCA Division II National Coach of the Year five times. You're in the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame. Talk just a little bit about your journey, where your career started, and, and kind of how it has built over time. Well, um, interestingly enough, as you mentioned, Gino, when he started at UConn, I was at UMass, and we actually played against each other. Um, in the very early parts of our of our time at, at Connecticut and UMass, so our, our careers have kind of crossed paths, if you will, um, throughout our our time. Um, but I started my career at Clark University, as you mentioned, in Worcester, Mass, and that was right out of college. And I happened just just a brief chance visit uh, meeting with uh, the women's. Uh, director of athletics at Clark, which in and of itself, and you talk about Title IX, that was unique at that time that Clark actually had a men's athletic director and a women's athletic, athletic director. And I happened to ask her, as I had just graduated from college, would she have, you know, any kind of coaching position part-time available? And she said at the time they did not, but she would go back and and see what she could do. And I heard from her after about a week or so, and she said that they had come up with a part-time assistant coaching position for $400, and would I be interested? And I thought that I had hit the jackpot at that time, and I said, absolutely, I'd be interested. So my first year at Clark, I was uh, an assistant coach, and then at the age of 23, the following year, I was named the head coach at Clark University, and I think we all know uh, now that would probably never happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I was lucky. I I, I got to be a head coach. Uh, it was not an easy thing. Certainly, it was certainly trial by error. Um, I had to learn as I was going, um, but I had I had a great mentor in our men's basketball coach at Clark at that time, Wally Hallis. And he and I kind of navigated our way through 
we were both young coaches and we we would sit for hours and and just bounce ideas off each other as as we were going forward and then um you know my career took me to UMass Amherst where I was head coach for three years and then um uh, they were looking for a coach at at Bentley um which is near Boston and I was interested in not only the tradition of winning at the program, but also the fact that it was near the Boston area. And anyway, as luck would have it, they hired me, and I've been there ever since. Wow. Talk about loyalty, you know. And I'm just thinking about, uh, I went to the Naismith Hall of Fame banquet this year. My good friend Rebecca Lobo was inducted. And, you know, we the, the whole talk was about Muffin McGraw and just how, Muffet is Notre Dame, and Notre Dame is Muffet, the same yep. as we talked about Gino, and even you with Bitly. And a question for you, because I think that the Division Two level, not a, not enough of us know about that level of basketball. We have a lot of fans that listen to our show. What made you to decide? I mean, you've had tons of success, and um, obviously, I'm sure, lots of opportunities to go different places in your career, but why Bitly and why Division Two for you? Well, as I mentioned, um, I started at Clark, which is a Division Three institution. Um, I went to UMass Amherst, which is Division One, and now I am currently at Clark. And I find that Clark, uh, I mean, sorry, I'm at Bentley, and I find that Bentley gives me the kind of the best of both worlds, if you will. We have athletic scholarships. Um, NCAA Division Two is allotted ten scholarships uh, to recruit with per year, and I like that. I like being able to compete um, with scholarship money, uh, recruit at that level. We are also, Bentley is an extremely high academic institution. So I also believe in the education that we are providing to our student athletes. And I think that, you know, that balance fits me personally very well. Um, we, you know, are, we're not producing WNBA players. We know that. We tell our recruits that. I mean, it's just not happening at our level, or at least at Bentley, because our student athletes pretty much go on to, um, you know, leave college and go on to, to very successful business careers. But, um, but it, it's, you know, it, it's just a good fit. It's just a great fit for me. I love it. I love the environment at Bentley. I love the fact that we're so well supported, um, and you know, it's just it's just been a, a great great fit for me. That is so awesome. And, and let me ask you this: take us back even further. Uh, we started talking about your coaching career, but as a young Barbara, uh, do you remember <laughs> the moment where basketball was introduced to you, and what opportunities were available at that time, and and how? Title IX impacted um, your life moving forward? Well, as I said, this is probably the boring part, but <laughs> as a young kid, I, I was very interested in sports. Um, I'm the youngest of four girls in my family, and um, we all had a love of sports, but there were very few opportunities for, for girls to play sports at that time, and this I'm talking about. I was born in 54, so you know, in my in the sixties and early seventies when I was in, you know, grammar school and, and high school, uh there were there were very, very few opportunities. But I gravitated to basically anything I could that was sports related and um my parents were extremely supportive of that and it you know, it wasn't easy at that time I think to be someone who really a a, a female who really um, enjoyed sports and, and somewhat did well in sports. And, um, you know, you get called the, the tomboy and the this and the that, you know. So, mm -hmm. it, but, you know, my passion for sports was just so great that I didn't really care. Um, when I went to college at Bridgewater State University in Massachusetts, it, it was in, with the intention of getting uh, a degree in health and physical education where I would then go on to become a high school teacher and coach, and that was my my grand plan. But while I was at Bridgewater and I played on the basketball team, I, I developed a really tremendously powerful interest in the coaching aspect of the game. Um, 
I, I even remember going to coaching clinics while I was a player, listening to, you know, Bobby Knight and some of, you know, the, the, the famous uh, older coaches who, who were very successful at that time. And, you know, I'd, I'd take my notes and come back and go into my coach's office like I just I think about that now and I'm, I'm like what in the world was I thinking but I went in and, and kind of put the notes on her desk and said you know I went to a clinic this weekend and this is what I learned and and would hand her the stuff and you know she probably said oh my god like get out of here kid you know <laughs> but, but but I just I enjoyed it so much I really um, found that side of the game to be so fascinating to the point that you know, when when I finally graduated from Bridgewater, and I think I I had the coaching bug, and I was really excited for any opportunity that I could find to to be a coach. Well, we have a lot of young coaches that um, listen to our podcast, and I, I I couldn't even start to imagine the types of tips and lessons you've learned over a time. But can you share with us just a couple of things that? You or, or some advice you would impart to a young coach that has helped you to have just such an, an overall successful career and obviously have reached uh, over a thousand wins, which, you know, won't happen to most people in their lifetime. Um, well, the biggest thing I would like to say to young coaches is you have to understand that you have to probably work your way up to a position that you eventually want to get to. Like I started off as a as a um, head coach at age 23. As I mentioned, that is, that would never happen again. At you know in this day and age, and it's okay to understand that you have to pay your dues. It really is. It's okay that perhaps you're going to struggle a little bit, be it financially or you know, even with your own aspirations, that you're not going to be where you want to be right away. Um, And I think working from the ground up is really the best way to learn how to be a coach and how to be in this profession. It's really changed so much since when I first began coaching 40-whatever years ago. I mean, you know, everything. Everything is is different about the game in, in terms of the you know, the social media, the technology, uh, the number of people on staff, the the TV, the everything, everything that has just brought the sport, you know, to just such an amazing level where it is right now. But, um, you know, you, you've got to be able, I think, to understand all aspects of the position now, all aspects of the job, um, before you just dive right in and think that you're going to be a head coach and you're going to be successful. And along with that goes, you've got to be able to understand how hard you have to work to be successful. It it just does not happen overnight. You know, I I just, I think about, and, and I'm just going to, you know, speak from my perspective, but there's a lot of work that goes into what we do and, and, you know, we don't have the video coordinators to get our our video clips ready for the next game, you know, that right. night. We don't have um, multitudes of, of people in support positions, you know, here at, at Division Two, And you, you have to do a lot yourself. And, and that's okay because I've been used to it and, and I don't mind doing it. I watch so much film. I At times I think I know the opponents better than I know my own team. But that's, again, that's just me. Um, I'm kind of obsessive in preparation, and um, I, again, I don't know any other way. That's the way I've always been doing it. But I just want to—I also want to keep up with the game. I want to be current in knowing what's mm-hmm. going on in the game and watching. I like—I love to watch other teams. Um, I love to listen to other coaches and exchange ideas. Um, I, I just love to learn, and I—and I feel that I continually learn every day as I read more and as I watch more about the game. And I just want to be able to put my team in the best position to win. Wow. Just some amazing, amazing advice. I'm over here taking notes myself. And I'm obsessive about preparation as well. I get on Tarika's nerves all the time. (laughs) 
um, because I just want everything to be right to the end mm-hmm. degree, right? So I've yep. got a little bit of that, Tarika. I'm on my way to a thousand wins, okay, Tarika? I got your back. Like, we okay. are a perfectionist team, and Coach Stevens is just making it worse because now we're striving for even greater. Right, right. exactly. She's going to be upset with you after. Um, Coach, let's just, before we let you go, wow, just so much great information shared. We want to talk about this season. Um, you've only lost two games this year. And your team has just been fantastic. It looks like you may be on a collision course with Ashlyn, um, oh, who has, has obviously, um, you know, had an outstanding season and their record of consecutive wins that they've broken is just amazing. We're trying to get them on around the rim as well. But, you know, you are two teams that we're always talking about in terms of Division Two competition. Tell us a little bit about this year's team and what, is has allowed you guys to have just such a successful season well interestingly enough we lost a two-time all-american who graduated last year who was a post player for us jen gemma and we were a little concerned coming into this season as far as who you know she was a double double kid every night and we we were very concerned about who would pick up the scoring slack and exactly what our emphasis of our offense would be and because things really changed, obviously, without her. So uh, we we got in uh, two transfers, two Division One transfers. Um, we had a, a good recruiting class, a good freshman class, and then those coming back were again a year a year more experience. Um, we have some very good guard play. So the focus of our offense became. Um, a little more perimeter oriented, but we also had an emergence of, of a last year a sophomore post player who is now a junior post player, and um, with our kind of you know four perimeter single post offensive look, you know she certainly benefited from the fact that our guards are pretty strong and and we can shoot the ball pretty well. Uh, we're playing a little more up tempo than we were last year, and. Um, you know, it's all it's all fallen into place. Um, and I, again, I you know every game is a is a new game. Um, we play tonight against uh, one of the teams that beat us earlier in the year, so we're looking forward to the rematch. But every game is is just e- extremely important in conference play, and obviously for. Of playoff seedings in our conference, so that's really where our focus is right now, and not looking ahead for any any confrontation <laughs> with anybody else other than tonight's game at Southern New Hampshire. Yeah, well, I just want to also mention that the coach was gracious enough to join us. She does have a game tonight at Southern New Hampshire, and it is on Fox College Sports. So, uh, right. fans, check your your network so you can see Coach Bentley. Excuse me, you can see Coach Stevens in in action with her team, Bentley, who is uh again. I'm not trying to say you're going to play Ashland at any time in the in the <laughs> tournament, but if it happens, it will be uh, must see television. Coach, my last question for you before we let you go. Uh, what is next in your career? What is the legacy, I guess, is the question that y- you want to leave on the game? You've already won a 1,000 career wins, so uh, your career has been amazing. But what would you say you want your legacy to be on the game of basketball? Well, um, you know, having the opportunity really to be in contact with a lot of our alums, following that the the game that was our 1000th win made me have an opportunity or a chance to reflect back on um you know just exactly what I've been doing for the last 40 years and I think it you know the 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 number of comments from our alums about the impact that I've been able to have on their lives is probably the the most important thing and the best thing that I could ever hear. I'm I'm a, I'm a teacher. You know, I think that's what coaches are. They're teachers. And if I can impart not just basketball knowledge, but, you know, knowledge about, you know, developing as a, as a person, knowledge about becoming successful, um, knowledge about, um, you know, just 
just being there for them in in times of of good and bad uh, that they know that they have someone who will always support them and and always be there in their lives should they need me i i just if if that's what they're getting out of all of this then that's all that i need and and then i'll feel like okay i did my job um and it has been, by the way, you know, a labor of love. There's no question. I mean, it's not like when I say job, I don't even mean job. I I heard someone say, I don't go to work every day. I go to school every day. And that's kind of how I feel. I feel like this is not work, um, although there are times where, you know, it can be <laughs> challenging. But I, I just feel like this is an opportunity for me every day to be able to have a positive impact on on my student athletes and and that's all I want to do really that's all I want to do and I think the fact that with good recruiting and and recruiting good people and obviously you need talent to win I you know that's that's a fact um, that you know we've just been able to be successful but I I would want people to look back at my career as just somebody who taught them how to grow up and and how to be successful in life. Well, Coach Stevens, you have just been an absolute teacher on this broadcast with all the knowledge and experience you've shared, and I know it's going to go on and help so many others. And if you decide tomorrow to hang up your whistle, the lives you've impacted is just tremendous uh, through the wins and the losses. And um, you know, as you mentioned, the young women you've coached, the people that have watched you coach, those like me that have had an opportunity to really dig into your career and see all that you've accomplished, you've inspired us all. And I uh, just want to thank you for everything you've done to grow the game uh, and to get it where it is. You talked about how much the game has changed. Well, it wouldn't be there without people like you and, and Sylvia Hatchell and Gino Oriema, who have all reached the 1,000 career mark, obviously, Tar Vanderveer and, and Pat Summit as well, but we would not be where we are without your contributions. And just want to thank you for your time and thanks for joining our podcast. And good luck tonight. We're rooting thanks for you. Thanks, China. I appreciate <laughs> it. And thanks, Draco. Thank, thank you. Thank you, Coach. We appreciate All right. your time. All right. Take care. Good luck. You too. All right. Thank you. Bye bye. Fourth quarter. Out of bounds. All right, so LaChina, next week um, on February 16th, there is something really special happening that the black community everywhere is talking about. Actually, everybody everywhere is talking about, but like we are really excited for something that's coming out next week. And I am referring to Marvel's Black Panther. The, oh, shoot. the Twitter universe has been going bananas about this movie that's coming up. It's featuring Chat with Bozeman. He's going to be playing Black Panther, which is Marvel's first African-American superhero. So that's exciting. This cast is ridiculous. It's got Angela Bassett. It's got Lapito Ngayu in it. Like this, uh, Michael B. Jordan, for various reasons, I'm excited to see him. And I, mm. I had just. I think him. And, I think him and Lupita might be. Are they an item? Because they look like they was holding hands in this one picture. I don't mean to start no gossip, but I look. I would not be mad. Lupita better get okay. on before somebody else do. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but right. I am excited to see this film, and I'm. I will admit that I am not the biggest, or was not the biggest, um, comic book kind of girl. Until I met my husband six years ago and he turned me on to this comic book life and I have dived in head first. So now I feel like I'm the comic book guru. But um, and I really still don't know anything. But I'm just excited for this film because I love the atmosphere that it's bringing to so many people. I love that there are so many different organizations that are taking younger kids to see this movie. I love that the the way that basically everyone is just rallying around and supporting this film so i'm excited and i'm happy that it's coming out yeah because listen this is black history month and we need to just go out going ahead and say it there just aren't any black superheroes really that's not a that's not something we've had consistently throughout our our lives right mm-hmm. and so uh, it almost i equated to when the wnba became a part of EA Sports. And and now, you know, you could play with your favorite WNBA player, um, you know, when you're playing NBA, 
and look, look at me not knowing the verbiage because I don't play all these video games. But when you're playing an <laughs> NBA on whatever, you know, game, whatever, you can you can play with Brittany Griner, right? And so it changes what kids see as a basketball player the same way that Black Panther is going to change what people see as the African-American experience in this space or an African-American hero because I wanted to be Wonder Woman. Okay. You know what I'm saying? I wanted to be, when I was growing up, you know, I wanted to be She-Ra. Actually, She-Ra was my girl, right? And so, yeah, that would have been wonders to me as a kid if I grew up having a black superhero to look up to. Oh, you would have been to tell me. Y'all think I'm crazy now? Would have been a mess. <laughs> I would have been, been jumping off of beds with my fake little cape on and all that stuff, honey. But no, I think it's awesome. And thank you for bringing that to our attention, Trika. I actually tried to go see the movie the other night. Somebody was like, girl, that movie is not out yet. Oh, like, oh it's not. <laughs> <laughs> see, I was trying I was to sneak like, into the premiere. I was like, I know somebody got an extra ticket that they want to give me and make oh, me feel yeah. special on this red carpet but unfortunately that's, my ticket got lost in the mail that's okay you know I, that it, premiere looked amazing <laughs> I just want to wherever Issa Rae is that's where I want to be okay every girl she has fun when everywhere she out every <laughs> premiere ever every party and I know she she works hard because she's talked so much about you know just having to set aside time to write scripts and get creative and things but Honey, if I would go anywhere with her and hang out and have a blast. I know it. That'd be so crazy. But yeah, so um that's that's what I'm looking forward to, guys. Uh make sure you guys actually if you if you guys go out and watch Black Panther and you want to tell us about it, hashtag around the rim. We'd be willing to see how do you guys think about the film. Give us a review. That's right. We'll be waiting. And with that, fans, that is it. Thank you for hanging out with me and Tarika, Black Panther, Sue Favor, Ariel Howard, Kennedy Carter, the Coach Barbara Stevens. Uh, we're happy about it all. But we'll see you next week because it's time for us to go. See you later. Thank you for listening to Around the Rim. Check out more podcasts from ESPN on the ESPN app. Wow, 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 w